Welcome to Just Write the Thing. I'm your host, Sophie White. As you've probably gathered, I write things. But I am endlessly fascinated by how other writers write their things. This week, in trying to write my thing, I made cashew and macadamia nut fudge. I'll probably put the recipe on the Patreon page. Uh, I googled skin cancer because I think I have it. And I learned the interpretive dance from the show The OA. My guest on this week's Just Write the Thing needs no introduction. More than 30 million books sold worldwide. 15 novels, three collections of nonfiction and a cookbook. Marion Keyes definitely goddamn knows how to just write the thing. So let's get into it. You have just this enormous body of work and then you still do incredible things like very recently on your social media, you did that brilliant kind of get writing series that was just making, just breaking it down, demystifying the process and encouraging people, which is just so beautiful to see and to be on the receiving end of. And you write a brilliant newsletter. And I wanna know, what is the thing that you need to, in order to do your work? Like whether it is an object, a set of circumstances, a state of mind, how do you sit down to write? Okay, well, it, this is a very, like, I mean, thank you for all the lovely things you've said. Um, I need a laptop. Like, okay. I need some sort of computer. Yeah, like, <laughs> fair. I, yeah, I can't read my own writing anymore. And my I've really bad arthritis in my fingers. So it's too tedious or painful like literally painful mm. to write to, 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 to write longhand and I just I love the whole thing of being able to fiddle around with words and move them and change them but like when you're writing with a pen on a bit of paper I, I don't have that kind of that freedom but like as regards objects like that's the only one that I would be um, you know I will write anywhere um, like I'll write in the car if I'm mm. a passenger um, she hastened to add <laughs> um, and yeah like I'll write on a plane I'll write on holiday I'll write like you know and I don't need it to be quiet or anything like that mm. but I I like to be able to type um, and in terms I mean I do like to have a candle yeah it, you know because I find starting every day really frightening mm. because you know when you're doing anything I don't know creative or artistic you're creating something from nothing ostensibly and it's kind of like I used to work in in accounts before I did this and like you already have stuff to work with but yeah. when you're trying to make things up and I mean I feel for me anyway and for a lot of people all the important stuff comes from my subconscious, not my conscious mind. So it's hard to kind of access that. Mm. So I feel like if I light a candle that I'm sort of asking the universe to, I don't know, to give me a dig out to kind of, mm. yeah, to, to help me to open that door. Oh, um, it's like an offering. Yes, or a kind of a an act of humility or... Or a request, a humble request. Yeah, that's what it feels like. So, mm. like, I if I can have a candle, that would be lovely. But, like, often that's not possible. And, you know, and, I, and I'll still be grand. Um, and then in terms of state of mind, I, it, it's helpful if I feel excited about what I'm working on. Um, like, especially at the start of a book something you know I'm fiddling around kind of in the foothills for a good while and then something clicks and I think okay right I know who she is and and I am interested and yes. and and you know there's that kind of thrill of like oh my god I could with a lot of work maybe make something of this mm. um then coming back to like the newsletter you see I'm good at conversation and yes, you are. <laughs> and, well, thank you. I mean, what I mean more, more like is like I enjoy it. Yeah. And and like the newsletters to, for me, I mean, it feels like 
you know when you meet somebody and you haven't seen them for a while and they say like what's going on with you mm. that's what it feels like so yeah. like it's and and you know the way when you're with a friend um you don't you don't edit yourself and you don't mind about grammar and you throw in slang and you don't always finish your sentences and it's about kind of you know there's so much more than words going on like there's energy and there's enthusiasm and for me writing the newsletters is is exactly that and like I don't like it's lovely because I don't edit it you know once it's done it's done and like I send it off like Mm. I don't have to kind of make it wait overnight and then go back and think oh god I used the word did 18 times in two (laughs) sentences do you know like all of those like it doesn't matter because because it's not meant to be judged on on the actual writing it's just meant to be judged on 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 the information that's in it I suppose Mm. so yeah so it helps and it's very your voice yeah well thank you and um, it's a connection, you know. Yeah. I think that's it when you said there it's not to be it's not there to be judged on the writing. And it is very much as a reader, it does feel like it's just you reaching. Um, yes. you know, very directly to yeah. to me or to whoever's reading it and just I there's one you wrote recently um about your average day in pandemic. Oh yeah. And I, I like along with so many people, just loved it because it was just so comforting and it was also so entertaining because I feel like you can't open your mouth without entertaining, you know, um, and and creating a story, you know, like, uh, and even I love the characters that populate the newsletter. Like, that's how I think it's funny when you say that it feels quite separate to your novel writing because it feels like vignettes to me and it feels quite crafted, but obviously, as you're saying, it's not. So, you know, it's amazing that that's your free writing. Well, thank I mean, really and truly, thank you very, very much because I enjoy it an awful lot. And it is just very nice to do something unfettered, mm. you know. And like, I mean, when I'm writing fiction, mm. you know, my first go at something will often be like that. Mm. You know, it'll be just, it'll be stream of consciousness. It'll be messy Mm. and like obviously it gets tidied up because I wouldn't be that you know they wouldn't publish me like that but I often feel something is lost in the tidying up Mm. Uh, you know that kind of there's this there's a kind of a a genuine effervescence that gets edited away and and I wish I could find a way of of capturing that sort of energy, but in a kind of a clean, readable way. And maybe it's just not possible. Um, I feel like for you as the author, um, because I know myself, as you get through rounds and rounds of edits, the thing starts to feel flatter and flatter until it's just like this flaccid dick and you're like, oh my God, but it is just through the fact, I think, of reading and reading and reading. Um, and I, don't, I think it's, it may not necessarily lose that effervescence to anyone who's coming to it for the first time. And realistically as well, like how many times are people going to reread something? You know, there's things I come back to all the time for sure. I only just reread Rachel's Holiday, actually. Oh. Um, <laughs> and loved it all over again. Um, and I read it just after getting out of hospital, um, the bin, um, head hospital last summer. And it, so it was particularly, um, it was particularly apt. But that's it, you see. I think that's what happens. I don't think that effervescence disappears, certainly not from your work. And uh, I think it is instead that you become just very bogged down, I think, in the the minutiae, you know, of editing. Yeah. Okay. well, that's very nice to hear. I wonder. I think it's that. I'm telling myself as much as anyone because I'm editing at the moment and I'm like, why? What what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on uh, my new novel. that says stuff. I mean, it seriously, is... no, I'm thrilled. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. Well, I just wrote an apologetic email to my editor today saying I'm so sorry that it's it's such a piece of shit. And <laughs> oh god, <laughs> she was very sweet and said I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it's not. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, because I think this is something you balance really well in your work. Like to me, 
I, I feel that you don't feel like solely character driven. I always think there's a really amazing, like you have such an amazing knack for a sticky hook, you know, like the break. I just loved from the get go, this kind of top line concept of a long married couple agreeing a, a kind of mutual break, you know, to reassess kind of. And then the richness of the world and the characters like always takes this hook so far beyond just a kind of, you know, I suppose, intriguing idea. And I really love, I suppose, hearing whether characters come to you first, literally the what if of the plot comes first. How does that go or is it different from book to book? I, I mean, it's rarely different from book to book in that like it, it's usually a character that comes to me and it's usually it's it's always a woman it's always ah, a woman yeah um yeah I mean and with you know I think I suppose with the break the break was unusual because as you say it's it's quite it's quite concepty mm. and and I'm not always and I don't know I'd read about it happening for real and I thought well first of all I thought oh my god how horrific because I'm such a sap and I'm so kind of locked into happy endings and, and yeah. you know, and nobody <laughs> hurting anyone. Um, and then, the, I mean, the character was sort of knock of, of Amy was knocking around anyway. Um, mm. But that was unusual. And also, I suppose, Grown Ups, the last book was quite unusual as well, because with that one, very much the story came to me before anything else. Um, that idea of like a big, messy you know, intermeshed group of people who they all manage their tensions and longings, you know, very civilly until yes. until somebody says something that they're not supposed to. And then suddenly kind of all civilization breaks down. I just yeah. I thought that was such an interesting thing. And coming to that. It was very unusual because I had to create like seven seven main characters and yeah it was a big ensemble uh, cast yeah, of yeah. this spra sprawling family it, it really reminded me of those kind of sprawling new york families like do you remember hannah and her sisters that yes. woody allen film that like i just feel like those settings or like say the royal tenenbaums or one of those they're such they're things that i think you just you kind of just it, there's something so seductive about being dropped into these kind of chaotic families and they're eccentric and you know I just feel like they're stories that we always really want to spend a lot of time in so I loved that you did that I was excited for the Marion Keys of it all as well oh you know God, thank you well you know it was lovely I really I loved writing that book um I'm not sure what I mean like I love writing families like I love I love big casts of people. I mean, I kind of think that's obvious. And like, it's it can be uh, an impediment, you know, uh, having those huge casts because it means that like my books are longer and the book they're bigger, you know, mm. and often people are put off by long books. But I like to live life personally, um, mob handed. It's, mm. I mean, I'm very, I'm, I, you know, I'm quiet. I'm an introvert, like, and I'm, I'm, I need a lot of time on my own, but I like being with my family because mm. it's very odd. It's sort of like being alone, but with people in that, yeah. like, you don't really have to talk to anyone if you don't want to, you know, you mm. can be just there and nobody has to be polite. And if you want, you can be part of three conversations at once, which I love. And I do think that's a very Irish thing. Um, mm. But at the same time, if you don't want to say anything, I never feel, oh, God, I better, I better inter interject at this point because it's polite. So, yeah, I like the forgiving rudeness of, yes. of a family. Um, yeah. And yeah, that was why Grown Ups was such such a nice book to write. But yeah, for them, them, the characters came after the the idea and uh, especially back and forth on the women. Um, mm. yeah, the men were easier. Um, but I suppose I was trying to kind of represent three ages of women, you know, like the, the 30 year old, you know, like, and then Jesse, the 50 year old, because I do think, especially at the moment, that those value systems are so different. 
Um, mm. And then Kara, who was the middle one, needed to be... I loved her. Oh, thank you. The, the odd thing is, I mean, she was the one who interested me least. Isn't it really? strange? Yes, isn't it weird? Um, That's I, funny. And I think, you know, from the feedback I've got, she's the one that... Um, that kind of has touched more people. And I, it's, yeah. yeah, because for me, she was the least interesting. Um, I, I just think it's funny. I mean, I'm not making any point with this, just that like, when you're a writer, you do your thing. And, yeah. and you have no real control over how people receive it. Oh, for sure. And I was very, I'm interested that you kind of say she interested you least. Do you kind of play favourites with the characters you're writing? Do you have, for example, a standout character that you've loved writing, like across your whole career that you kind of loved kind of being that character's voice or, you know, is there anything yeah. like... Yeah, um, Anna Walsh in Anybody Out There. Like I just, yeah. I love her uh, still because the book I'm writing now is, is a Walsh book and she's in it a tiny bit and she's just very, very pure. I just find her very sweet and funny and kind of good she's a good you know she wants good things for people and she now can i check she was the younger one wasn't she no helen is the youngest oh yeah. yes okay yeah, yeah. sorry yeah anna is the one whose husband died um in new york and she's working in um she's a, a pr for um in a makeup com company and uh just everything to do with her life you know, she has to dress in accordance with the brand. Her brand is mm. called Candy Girl. And, and, and she's got to be sort of wacky and wear hats. And she's so <laughs> utterly miserable. Like, all she wants to do is wear dark, tailored suits. And yeah. Yeah, so I really like her. Um, I mean, I very much liked Nell in, in Grown Ups. I really liked Amy as well. Um, mm. But I think at some stage, and in some way, I've got to like all of them. And... Yeah, like in Grown Ups, as I said, Cara always felt a bit, it was work writing Cara. Mm. And and you can't show that. Like you can't play favourites, even if, I mean, obviously there will be always characters that excite you more. Um, yeah. And like, oh good, I'm writing a bit about her. Okay, I like her. She's gas. She's easy. You know, I like, I like her life. Yeah, like, mm. you, you know, and then there will be others you think, yeah, you know, not really for me, but look at, you know, fair play. Like, she needs to have her moments in the spotlight as well. Yeah, and like, it's your job if you're doing an ensemble piece to not mm. drop people. You've got mm. to, you've got to play fair, even when sometimes it's a bit kind of, ugh. I know, I find sometimes a character can stay a bit out of focus for me. Oh God, do yeah. Do you find that? Oh, very yeah. much so. Like, Often and how do you drill through that? Or how would you kind of... Okay, lots of yeah. ways. I mean, lots of times a character doesn't come fully into focus until I'm 80% through the book. And, and I just have to trust that if I keep writing them and if I keep sort of chipping away and trying different things and trying different hobbies and our reactions are like paying attention to people I meet and and anything that I find interesting or, or unusual in their attitude to say pain or or loss or or or, or good fortune to think mm. okay you know that makes them interesting and 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 rare could that work for my person you know a character doesn't ever you know spring fully formed but like mm. it takes at least a year of writing before before I think okay okay, I've got it. I've got that mm. click, you know, that click. And like, right, oh, now yeah. I get it. But, and yeah, and like often I will write things and then think, no, that didn't work. And, and mm. sort of have to back away from it and then try again. I mean, it's, it's, it's trial and error. And like so, yeah. so much of it is error. And, mm. and it's, it's really okay to say, another error mm. you know I think a lot of people like I've noticed this in questions I get sent that people think that like if 10,000 words into your book that it's not firing all on all cylinders that it's a mistake um, mm, yeah that, that you should leave it 
my feeling is that 10,000 words, you're barely getting started. And, mm. you know, you've been sort of coasting on initial euphoric enthusiasm to that point. And, yeah. and you know, you're having a fabulous time and the words are, you know, flowing out of you and the ideas are coming thick and fast. And then you hit a point where, like, you have nothing to sustain the characters or the plot. And that means yeah. you either go back right to the beginning and, and you know, realise that you're going to have to work an awful lot harder on on deepening the characters, on, you know, on filling in the gaps in their world, or else, or mm. else you have to go down several layers into the character and into mm. their life and into their backstory. Um, and people hate me when I say that, but I think it's actually a very useful thing to know that like, oh, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen if you don't do the work. Uh, you know, yeah, and you, you I, won't. You don't know what to do with them if you don't know them. Exactly, but you, yeah. but you have to realize that you don't know them. So, mm. like hitting the wall, that early wall, is great information. It's like, okay, this is where the fun stops, and where the work begins, and mm. and then it just makes everything richer, and yeah. better. Um, and like that happens several at several stages, in every book for me. Yeah, you know, like, and can I ask, like, do you say like say that deepening of characters and things like that? Like, what does that look like for you? Do you do like, for example, I do questionnaires, um, for my characters, um, so like I have a kind of roughly rough one that I use for all of them that's like about nine pages long. Good God, of questions, and like sometimes I skip over, like sure, here and there, I cheat, but um. You know, do you do things like that with your books? And also, do you do things like kind of map the the story arc? Okay, the questionnaire is a fantastic idea and I've done it, but not in, in a while. But I think bringing mm. that same kind of, how would you call it? Template, kind of laying that yeah. template over a character and go, okay, what is, their, what is the thing they're most ashamed of? I think that's always a very interesting question. You know, yeah. or like... What is their happiest memory? Or, yeah. you know, what did... And just the basic things of, like, what does their idea of perfect happiness look like? Um, mm. You know, what was their... Or who did they fall in love with first? Like, things like that are... They're really important. To, so I, so yeah. I don't have anything formalised. But that's how I would try and focus on a character. Yeah. Then... As regards the plot, no, I have never any real idea of, of of what I mean. I might have a vague idea of where we're going to try and go. Um, yeah. And for the first time ever, with this book that uh, I'm writing now, I have a cork board, and I have I have how do you call those cards? Index cards. Um, Index cards. Yeah, yeah. With stuff written on them. Um, for for mm. each day. Um. At the moment, like it's taken place over about six weeks, uh, you know, the first mm. block of stuff and then, yeah, and then it'll have to change. But I have an awful, I have a big cast of smallish characters. So ha mm. having this kind of daily thing was actually very helpful. But yeah, I, I, I don't know where a plot is, is going. I mean, I am a slave to the happy ending, which limits me as a writer but I don't care you know I don't see it as limiting oh I think it is Sophie I think it is no especially because the way you reach it is you know always unexpected you know and always really satisfying like I don't like reading a book that I'm not satisfied by the ending you know well I leave you. then pissed off <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well we can't have that and I suppose at this stage I mean it's what I do and people know it's what I do and and I like that I mean I always feel that like those who write happy endings get the schneer a bit do you know like that they don't get mm. the respect that other writers do with the grim endings but it is I feel incredibly lucky to be at this stage in my career where like I write the happy endings and people know I write them and they come to expect them and mm. because I that's what I want to write. And it is actually lovely to be able to write 
what you want to write. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. and it doesn't happen always. Um, so how do we get on to that? Uh, well, I will. Okay. I tell you what, I'm going to bring us back to a question about a similar, it's kind of the reverse of that question. It's what stops you from writing. And again, like this can be like YouTube or or crippling self-doubt or both. Okay, okay. Um, the first thing is tiredness. Like, uh, mm. it's, you know, there was a time, quite genuinely, when I could have written for like literally 10 hours a day. And now... Amazing. Yeah, but like... It was a long time ago. I was a lot younger and I was quite insane in that like, you know, in that like I was desperate to please and desperate to keep producing books. And, you know, that like early thing of like, I couldn't believe my good fortune. And and after having got sober, I was so thrilled to have the opportunity to live a kind of a productive, healthy, you know, uh, respectable life. Um, mm. But like I am nearly 58 and I feel it uh, you know I get tired a lot more quickly so that mm. would stop me now if something happens to me like I get a shitty review or you know somebody somebody I don't know if I trip over somebody being mean about me um and that is yeah, that's the perfect way yeah, to describe yeah. it and I mean that is absolutely their right but mm. but it does it's very very easy to burst my bubble and again, I make no apologies for it. Like, I'm sensitive. I'm a creative. And uh, and if you criticize my work, you criticize me. And like, yeah. and, and, you know, there are plenty of robust people in the world. You know, there, there, we have enough of them. You know, and there is room for people like me who, mm. yeah, who take it to heart. And like, who have to kind of, you know, let it heal. You know, and it probably wouldn't yeah. take long, maybe an afternoon or so. Um, but that would stop me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose if I'm upset about anything, I don't want to work. You know, I don't want to write. Mm. Um, and there are things like, you know, people talk about writer's block and I don't, actually don't hold with it. But I hold with writer's emptiness. Um, where yeah. I've kind of, where I've said everything that I wanted to say about a particular scene or a particular relationship or a particular narrative arc and I, actually I'm at one at the moment where I've kind of I got myself to a place that I was working to for a good while mm. and now I'm standing in this kind of huge big empty space wondering where do I go next and right and, yeah and I know that there is no point at this stage and just ploughing ahead blindly and trying to make something happen. This is one of those points mm. where like actually stepping back and maybe reading other people's work or, you know, if the world was normal, what I would do now would be go on a walking holiday, um, like with, mm. with, with himself, because there's something about, you know, being away from all social media, like from, from, from disappearing I suppose into other people's words and just being alone with my thoughts in my head and sort of the rhythm of walking and and he's a really great person to talk to about you know because he reads my work and and he gets it he yeah. knows what I'm trying to do and he's just he's a very good facilitator um and so that's not possible at the moment so I'm you know I'm I'm reading other people's work which is nice and then I mean other things that, that that stop me from working I mean you mentioned Twitter I mean Twitter is I would have written I'd say about 12 more books in the time that I've been on Twitter um, <laughs> like I waste so much time and I waste so many words the only thing that I can say is that I have also received benefits from it like mm. you know I don't think I could ever writ have written the character of Nell and Grown Ups if it hadn't been for reading reading about people in their 20s and 30s on Twitter like them sharing yeah. the, the, the kind of the truths and the hardships and the happinesses of their lives it it, it mm. gave me an insight into I suppose a set of values or a way of thinking that I, I wouldn't have had the option or the opportunity to to access before so 
Yeah. It's not it's not entirely wasted. Um, but I'm really bad at discipline. Like I'm re- like if I find something that makes me feel nice in my head, like I'm just going to keep doing it. You know, so like <laughs> if somebody makes me laugh on Twitter when I'm meant to be having me lunch, you know, my lunch ends and I'm still there, still still chasing that little burst of dopamine. Give me another one. Just give me one more and I'll go back to work. Or you know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm so prone to, to, to obsessions, you know, um, kind of in the last, it's, it's waned mercifully in the last few weeks, but for a couple of months there, I suppose to the dark, the, the dark days of January and February, I was just obsessing mm. over vintage Chanel handbags. Like, I mean, it was oh, like, and, we've yeah, all been there. And like, <laughs> and there was no other joy in my life at the time. You know, there was no, mm. apart from my husband, there were no hugs. There was no nieces. There was no mammy. There was no sh- yeah. out there. There were no parties. There were no fun. Uh, you know, so looking at beautiful, really expensive things that I have no room for in my life every day actually made life bearable. I suppose it gave me those bursts of happiness that I would normally be getting from seeing somebody I love or having sitting down and having the crack and a laugh you know um yeah having a nice meal oh completely I found I was getting enough off just putting stuff in the online shopping basket and I just bang a load of stuff in there until the totals were insane it'd be like 300 quid and then I'd kind of just flick out of the tab. Yeah, you don't have to actually buy it. And it would kind yeah, of be no, enough. I yeah. absolutely agree. Yeah, and, and not, I'll stop talking about my, my very unhealthy. Um, but yeah, buying kids clothes um, for, I have, a, mm. I have a niece who's nearly four and she is just an icon, a fashion icon. <laughs> I love it. So I often, yeah. I often imaginary buy things for her, you know, and I don't actually buy them. You know, and put yeah. them in the basket is enough. Yeah, it's like um, I just do planning outfits oh. as like a kind of relaxation thing, especially when we used to go places. Oh, yeah. So sad. Um, and so can I ask, do you have a kind of a shape on your day as a yeah. writer? Yeah, yeah. What does that um, look like? Start work at about nine. Um, there's a mm. computer on a table in the spare bedroom. And... I mean, I'd probably manage to say an hour and a half and then like I need to stop like this has mm. become a kind of a shocking thing. Like I need to stop because I'm tired, you know, so like, yeah, and I will fiddle around because there's always other things to do. But then I'll come back and I'll write till about one. And then I mean, like it was kind of nice in a horrible way during lockdown because there was nothing else to do. You know, so I'd mm. I'd do that and I'd do some exercise and then I'd come back and I'd do another hour and a half before making the dinner. And then yeah. at night I have been doing about an hour and a half before I go to sleep, which is unusual for me. Really? Yeah. And this is very... I cannot work well, I used night. to be able to and I probably won't be able to when yeah. we go back to normal. But it's like it didn't yeah. matter if I didn't sleep. Or it didn't matter if if I was too tired in the morning. Do you know, because kind of like yeah. all routine went to hell. So, that's it. The whole yeah, setup of yeah. life was gone. So yeah, that's a good and point. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it for myself normally because like I really struggle with sleep anyway. Um but it's mm. like actually kind of looking back at what I'd written. And fiddling around, more doing editing than anything kind of substantial. Mm. It made me, I don't know, made me happy. It made me proud. It made me think, oh my God, look, whatever else hasn't happened today or in the last six months or a year, whatever. There is this collection of words and some of them I like. And that felt good. You know, and like Mm. I can really, I can spend 20 minutes on a sentence, you know, fiddling around, moving words back and, and forth. And I think for most writers, we don't allow ourselves that time, you know, to kind of go right down into the the semicolon kind of level of detail. And and it's yeah. lovely to do it. Just think this, yeah, that yeah. sentence is a little bit 
hiccupy, not mad about it. What can I do to fix it? And that's just such a lovely present to myself or yeah. to any to any writer, you know, to bring it down to that level and go, yeah, go on. See if you can make it better. Go on. Tinker. Yeah. Tinker. Tinker exactly. around here. Yeah. yeah. Because like mm. I never had the opportunity to, like I never studied creative writing. Like I, I know nothing about the correct way to kind of create a very efficient sentence um, or, or mm. an efficient paragraph, say, where you say all the lovely words exactly right and you only say them <laughs> once and you don't include anything that's a repetition or that isn't necessary. You know, I read so many other people's work and I think, oh, I love the way they did that. Um, and mm. there are times, and like maybe I will, when I finish this book, maybe to just, I don't know, go on a course and learn learn the yeah. best way to do the nicest sentence, the most efficient, the most elegant sentence. Or just to see different yeah. ways to see how you can kind of, I, you see, I don't even know the words, but like how, how you would not start a sentence with a definite article, but with the verb. Do you know, think, I'd love to be shown how to do yeah. that. I do know. I do know how you how you mean because I'm always thinking. I'm well. I'm always yeah thinking of. Oh, I'd love to do an MA in creative writing because same as you, I don't have. I don't know what what are you supposed to have though? I mean, an English degree. I I don't know. Like I and in fairness, yeah. I think if you do talk to writers, the majority don't. I would imagine you know at at all. But it's a. Uh, it's I love hearing you talk actually about reading other people's work um, because I find, especially when you were describing kind of sometimes if you're in that huge empty space to kind of you know reverse a bit, spend some time in, in the work of other people. And I often feel like when I'm reading other people's work, sometimes I can read something on a page that just gives me a bit of permission. Yes. To kind of maybe write the way I want to write actually and not feel it's not worthy or bad about it or any vague negative whatever about it and it kind of um it made me want to ask you um was there ever like I suppose was there a point as you said you worked in accounts and I read once uh, that you said you had never had any idea of writing a novel and um, and I wanted to ask was there a book that kind of gave you the sense that you could or a book that you wished you'd written that kind of pushed you like over the edge yeah. <laughs> over the edge and into writing watermelon or I know you wrote some short fiction first yeah and... I mean I read a book called Fabulous Nobodies by an Australian writer called mm. Lee Tullock and I read it probably in 1991 and I just adored it like it's it's first person it's conversational, it's chatty, it's, it's set in New York, it's a, a young woman who works as a, a door girl on a, in, a, in a fancy nightclub and it was just so funny and young and, and it was just about living in New York with no money and, and wanting everything and, yeah. but like when I read it I had no idea that I wanted to write or that, but it really stayed with me, like I was I, I loved it. Like, it's still one of my most favourite books. And then I also read a load of, you know, the Jilly Cooper books, like Emily and Octavia, like all with the girls' yeah. names. Like, yeah. I loved them because, because they were, again, they were relatable. Um, mm. They were about ordinary girls who felt overwhelmed by other people's fabulousness and their own sense of not being worthy and then yeah. the other book I read was Heartburn and that yeah oh, I love yeah. it yeah yeah I love that and like again the tone I think mm. with Fabulous Nobodies and Heartburn it was the tone that gave me permission that that told me I could speak directly to my readers you know I could tell it as if I was speaking you know yeah. that it was a verbal, it was a verbal novel. To, you know, in in a book form. Yeah. You know, it it might as well have been uh, narrated. 
rather than written. Totally. Um, yeah. And or just like ha- telling, yeah, telling stories around the dinner table. Yes. And yeah. 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 Which has been a big way, I think, for me growing up that I kind of, I think, started to get the point of stories and get a bit of an idea of how you do it or how you tell a story, yeah. you know? I, and I sense that um, the Keys family is very similar. Yeah, we are. But then, when I, I lived in London for a long time and uh, and my flatmates were always Irish. And honestly, it was such fun. And like, there were always stories and they were always about disasters, but like, you know, disasters are the funniest stories because, you know, you just need a bit oh, of distance yeah. on them. And it was such a kind of a... It was important to be entertaining and to, yeah, to make it as funny as possible. Yeah. And like, even though I didn't know what I was doing, I knew that I took great pride in making these as funny as possible. And and it was nice to be surrounded by people who felt the same. And I, I honestly think that it was great, great training for, because, you know, you learn how to pace the story. Yeah, you learn. You learn totally the the, the vocabulary of of comic writing or comic mm. storytelling. Mm. Yeah, so all of that was very helpful as well. Or like what to reveal and where, and what you're describing there actually about like kind of these raucous house shows kind of um, makes me immediately think of like Last Chance Saloon. Yes, yes, exactly. which I, I just yeah. loved, 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 loved. Uh, in terms of like permission to write, you know. Especially as a funny woman, I think, uh, you know, definitely for me came from you. Absolutely. Oh my God. Watermelon was actually one of the first novels that I read, um, you know, in my teens where I was like, oh, books can be like this, you yes, know, I that do. realization. Yeah, I absolutely do. Because like up to then it was all George Orwell and, and War and Peace. You yeah, know, it was all yeah. very, it was worthy stuff. It was, and it was never reading for the crack. It was never reading for fun mm. or for identification or or for actual light-hearted entertainment. Yeah, so like definitely Fabulous Nobodies was probably the first book that I thought, oh my God, this is hilarious and books can be this way. Yeah. And can I ask, did you find like, like what was the biggest kind of obstacle you found like back then, like say getting Watermelon published? Or how did you find that kind of process? Was it hard or, you know, no. was there a lot of rejection or did you kind of first I mean, book style stumble into it a bit? Yeah, I mean, I was very, very lucky. Um, but like, I honestly had no idea how people got published. And mm. I mean, I think that was my biggest, um, my biggest stumbling block. Like, I had just no idea. Like, I knew that there were bookshops and you could buy books. But like the whole mysterious process of, of writing and getting published, I understood nothing and... And like the family I was brought up in, they knew nothing. Mm. It was like a whole other kind of rarefied, fabulous world that the likes of the Keyses would never have been um, let into. But yeah. When I, but when I was in the Rutland um, in January, February 94, I read books by Patricia Scanlon. And oh, she, I love, oh my God, sorry, yeah. I just loved City Girls yes, and things. Yes, those I, were the ones, yes. Yeah, yeah. And she had been published by um, Pool Beg, which was an Irish house. And I thought, well, look, it, she's Irish. She's writing about Irish people in Ireland. You know, I'll send my stuff to them. Mm. And I mean, I did send them to other pl- places as well. And all the other places um, said no. But Pool Beg said yes. Yeah. And, and... You know, they gave me uh, a three-book contract based on four chapters of of Watermelon. I know, like, and I always feel mortified at telling people this because so many people, like, their path to being published is far more scenic. You know, the winding route. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I had the scenic route. (laughs) And, like, it's just that, I don't know, timing, there was timing, there was... A huge amount of luck. Um, oh, yeah. I always think of... Um, do you remember when um, the latest A Star Is Born came out? 
and Lady Gaga gave all the interviews about like it just takes one person and then they cut it together on YouTube like because somebody noticed that it was her absolute sound bite yes. when she was on this press tour and uh, it was really funny like every time she said it she she was I mean she was immaculate in her performance it sounded brand new every, every time, time she said it yeah all it takes is just that one person in the room to see you and like but it and it's but it's totally true I always think of it like you need to meet that person who like is ready to believe in you and likes what yeah. you're doing and but I do think like oh my god compared with then like now we like we're so um spoiled because I mean I remember just like when I was trying to get my first novel published you know I was just endlessly like watching YouTube videos about writing query letters to agents and writing this and writing that and how to contact agents and yes. you know and and publishers you know all that kind of stuff and you know so I do think like god yeah it must have felt like an impossibility you know pre-internet to just be like yes how does how this do book do... appear on the shelf yeah and like I knew nothing about agents at all mm. Mm. You know, I thought you, you, you wrote to the publishers directly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Which and obviously it should be said, you totally can. Yeah. And my first uh, two novel deal was without an agent. I'm saying that to the listener. If yes. you're listening. Yes. And you don't have an agent, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> yes. It's doable. But, but, yeah, but an agent will mind you better. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are, I do now have an agent. Good. And adore Good. her I, I wanted to ask uh, I suppose what your main advice would be to somebody who's you know pre-published and you know I suppose in that kind of period of time where you have to just keep the faith about what you're creating and what you want to do so what would you what would you say practical spiritual okay everything okay I mean I think this is practical and maybe spiritual Pretend that nobody other than you is going to read your work. Just mm. put out of your mind everything. You know, your partner, your mother, your that bitch from school, you know, ex-boyfriends. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, pretend that you are writing for yourself. Write the book that you want to read and write it as if you're the only person who's ever going to read it. Because that means you will be honest you will be vulnerable, you will be authentic, you won't be trying to shape it, to corrupt it in some way towards what you perceive the marketplace might want. Mm. Um, don't, for the love of God, try to be anyone else other than you. You know, mm. even if you love somebody and if even somebody inspired you to write, don't, don't try to be them because you're not going to be. And again, it'll twist something out of shape in you. You know, to find your own authentic voice for each book is, I mean, it's imperative. Mm. But it's also a huge pleasure. Um, once you've found it, to be able to write on it, uh, you know, the kind of the, the mimicry can only go on for so long. Mm. Um, also, expect your first attempts to be wojous. Like, the, I mean, <laughs> it will horrify you. Um, <laughs> and that's because, like, you know, Barbara Kingsolver's books don't appear like that. She doesn't mm. just sit down and start typing, you know, and, and keep on going till she gets to the end and then stop. Like, she will have agonised over sentences. You know, she will have deleted paragraphs and put them back in again and then deleted half of them and then... And then, you know, changed them all and then moved to the end of the book. And, you know, like editing is, editing is the writing. Yeah. Not, not the creative, not that lovely spurt of kind of glorious, thrilling, delicious magic where like mm. words come and ideas come and people and it's all delicious. That is only a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of it, you know. Yeah. And then the real work begins when you're there kind of pouring over them thinking, God, I don't know, would she really have said that? But if I take it out, will the, will the reader not 
but they have lost a tiny little cog in the clue to the character. You know, that's oh, what yeah. it is. You know, like oh, yeah. the, the editing. It's all editing. Okay, 99% of it is editing. And then, okay, I will grant 1% for the delicious inspiration. Now, I actually have a few more things written down. Will you bear with me? Oh, Are yes, you, um, Bob. Because, uh... all right, okay. Ha. Don't wait for inspiration to strike. You must build your book. Writing is a job and you must have a routine. I absolutely mm. stand by that. You know, there's so much codswallop talked about writing. And people act as if inspiration strikes you like, I don't know, like a, like an attack of some unpleasant disease. You know, <laughs> that like you're just out and about and you're living your life and you're having a lovely time. And then suddenly the inspiration is at you the way like, I don't know, a spasm in your shin, your calf. Oh, yeah, muscle. you're struck yeah, down with you're it. You're struck kind down of. and then you, you repair to your room and then you're you're in a, a kind of a, a crazed state. And you're yeah. typing, typing, typing like you are possessed. And like you type and type and type and type, the words are coming, it's a flowing, you're not even aware of it. People are pushing food under the door and saying, please eat, you haven't eaten in eight days. And you're going, no, 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 I'm writing my book, you can't. It's the creative process, it's, 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 it's sacred and I am in the inspiration. And it is nonsense. Like it doesn't, yeah. it is not like a spasm in your calf muscles. You know, you sit down in the morning and you think, I'm going to try and write for an hour. That's I forgot to say that. That's what I ask myself to do every day. Write for an mm. hour. And an mm. hour is small. An hour is manageable. An hour even on my on my most oh discouraged days, I can manage an hour. Once the hour is up, I can usually keep going. But like, yeah. there is no magic. There's a tiny bit of magic. But mostly there yeah. is no magic. Don't be looking for the magic. You know, yeah. sit down yeah. and be there for the tedium. Embrace mm. the tedium. Embrace the slow progress. That's that's what makes a person a writer. Keeping mm. at it when, yeah. when there's no real, when there's no immediate pay, payoff. Oh, for sure. And you've no guarantee that it's going to become anything. Even a finished piece. Exactly. <laughs> like, Exactly. I think that's something I find I need to overcome. I have a post-it on my desk that just says it'll all come together, which is pretty basic. But I just genuinely find it quite helpful to look up and see that every yeah. now and again and be like, look, it'll all come together. It will all come together if you keep doing Especially the work. Especially in the editing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, like... Write it, and even if it's mediocre, this is what I tell myself, even if it's mediocre, it will still be a book. And mediocre can be improved on in various ways. Yeah, you know. But if yeah. you have nothing mediocre, there's nothing yeah. to improve on. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of striving yeah. for perfection can, can absolutely cripple me to, to, to producing nothing. And that, yeah. that helps nobody. You know, totally. If I say, okay... It's going to be really quite poor what I produce today, but it will be. It, but it will be something, you know. Maybe yeah. tomorrow I'll have more energy and I'll have more spark, and I can make it yeah. better. Yeah. Low level, low level. Tedium, is fine. Yeah, absolutely. I um I love that. Just on, on those days where you feel like you're trudging outwards, you're like, Ooh. Mm. yeah. I always kind of think. I suppose whenever I'm in one part of the process, I'm always wistful for the other part. Yeah. So like, I when I'm now in second draft, I suppose you call it, you'd call it, and like, I am so nostalgic for first draft, galloping. I kind of feel like in first draft, I just kind of spew the book yeah. out, just in this horrific mess, basically. But it's so. Like it's just so, I don't know, carefree because I'm just yeah. going blah blah blah, type to type, fix it in the second draft, fix that, I'll fix that, <laughs> and then come second draft, I'm like, why, Sophie? Why didn't you just fix this the first time round? Or yeah, yeah, or then to sometimes focus and think there will be a day when I improve reading this, and that's such a lovely feeling. Like if I yeah. keep doing this, 
it will get easier. Mm. No, proofreading is an awful lot easier than the second draft. And does it get easier, book to book? It hasn't for me. Um, right. And that's, that's all right. Mm. You know, I mean, the fear keeps me trying. And I suppose mm. one of the things I would absolutely hate would be to start lashing stuff out and saying, ah, look at it, it's grand. You know, mm. they've read, they've read the others. I can, I can kind of coast on this one. Uh, that yeah. would distress me terribly. Um, so I'm glad to still be scared and I'm, I'm glad to still doubt myself. Um, I mean, like, it's not pleasant, but, no. but it's but <laughs> like, I would rather, oh my God, I'd rather feel it when I'm writing it rather than when it's published and people are going, what? No. Oh, yeah. She didn't. You know, what was wrong with her? Like that, oh. you know, like, wouldn't that be horrendous? Oh God. Yeah. Oh no, completely. Um, well, I do have to let you go. I feel like I'm holding you in a kind of conversational hostage situation. Not at all. But it's such a, I just think it's so fascinating to learn how writers do it, you know? Um, and I, I love the things that come up again and again. And then I love the kind of, the unusual, you know, yeah. total, yeah. you know, idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasies of each person individually, you know? Um, I, I know I keep being like, can I ask one last Of course last you can. But I suppose I do think about when, um, I know when I was writing my first uh, two books, my first novel especially, I was writing it around a full-time job. And I think so many of us do. Yeah. And so many aspiring writers are doing the exact same thing. And I wondered, did you do that with your first? Yeah, for the first three. And how did you find that? I found it okay I mean writing the first book I was so joyous like you know I look back yeah. at the time and I was never tired um I was just out of rehab I was sober um yeah I was feeling so different about myself and about life and and I found this thing that I loved doing so I used to go into work and write like for an hour before work and then I used to edit in the evenings and and yeah. like, then I used to write at weekends and and it was just such a huge pleasure and then yeah. by the time I left, I was halfway through writing Rachel's Holiday and I'd gone down to four days a week at that stage. Mm. And I was finding it harder. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you can sustain that for a while. You know, that kind of burning the candle at both ends. And and like eventually something has to give. Um, but definitely the first I mean and I suppose also because I got the, the the thing saying that they'd published me quite fast so like I wasn't doing yeah. it into a void like I was doing it into yeah. knowing that I'd get published so it was probably it was probably easier because I already had that kind of um stamp of approval um totally yeah, yeah. but like anyone who wants to write and has a full-time job something some some sacrifice will have to be made like whether it's you know giving up on Netflix in the evening or giving up the gym before work or mm. you know but that time needs to be found in yeah. your life it's you can't That's do it. your writing kind of around everything else You've, if you really want to do it prioritize it like uh, respect it enough to make the time for it um, yeah, because almost everybody I know who eventually got published did it with kids and a job. And you've got to want it enough to, yeah. to kind of to make time for it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said there about kind of respecting your work enough to give it the time. Um, it because it kind of reminds me actually of I was speaking to Dearani Griefa for this show and she was saying about, you know, I sort of said, did, did you feel like you arrived at a point where you finally felt like a writer? I, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm still waiting to feel it. Um, and she said, well, I write every day, so I'm a writer. And I thought it was the most lovely. Yes. It was so simple, but it was so profound an answer. And I think that that's something that, like, 
you know, like, you know, when you say aspiring writer, we say aspiring writer and it generally means kind of, you know, you haven't been published yeah. yet. But I now I very much like to kind of reframe that and be like, you write, you're a writer, you know, yes. and that's it. Respect your work and, and believe in your work. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's lovely to hear you say that. And it's a lesson for absolutely everyone at every point in their career to respect their work and, you know, yeah, genuinely occasionally say well done to yourself absolutely yes yeah that there is absolutely no shame in saying that was a really nice chapter I really like that yeah absolutely well thank you so so much for giving me your time there's no nothing more precious and so really honestly that was just the most gorgeous chat a pleasure Um, anytime and I think it really helped people if people listen, I think they that really people listen. will get really inspired, you know? I know I feel ah. it. Thank you so much for listening to Just Write the Thing with me, Sophie White. If you've been a bad person lately and want to bank some good karma, why not tell your friends about the podcast? It is literally the nicest thing you can do. You can also join the Just Write the Thing community on patreon.com forward slash just write the thing where you can support the podcast from just two euros a month. On the Patreon page, you will find extras from our episodes, writing resources, the opportunity to connect with fellow writers and your contributions will go towards paying our authors who give their time and share their advice and experience on each episode. Good luck writing your thing this week, whatever it may be. And see you next time.